so grateful for Steve's ministry last weekend and just the encouragement and the uh, strength that those prophetic words bring. How many know the, 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 the word of prophecy is to encourage, exhort, and edify, amen? To cheer you up, to build you up, amen? I hope you are cheered up and built up and ready to go for the season that's ahead, but uh, thankful for that. And I see this beautiful new couple. I want to, I forgot to say this. I'm at Kyle, Natasha, can you stand up? I'd like to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. McFarland. They were back in New York tying the knot last weekend, so congratulations to you guys. Bless you. Amen. We're so excited for you. Um, but uh, I thank, thank the Lord for the ministry and, and, and the blessing that Steve brought last weekend, and just looking forward to and excited for this season we're in. Amen? There's so many good things to come, and uh, so I want to, I've really been feeling in my heart the emphasis of really teaching on and sharing on the kingdom of God. How many know this is the central theme of all scripture is the kingdom of God? And it's so important that we understand it, and I believe even more so in these days that we are in, so that we understand the here and the now and the to come of the kingdom of God. And uh, so I started this back in the beginning of October, and then Pastor John uh, brought the culture of the kingdom of God in in, uh, the next service talking about holiness and how, how, how holiness is part of that culture. But when I shared, I, I shared a few things. One of them was um, about recognizing his kingdom, right? Recognizing his kingdom. His kingdom is his rule, his reign, and his authority. And all of us who have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, put our trust in him, made him Lord of our life. That's the key, Lord of our life. Come into and enter into that kingdom. And I said that we must enter the kingdom, receive the kingdom, as children. Though he says, unless you receive the kingdom of God as children, you will by no means enter. And shared on that. And then recognizing his kingdom is marked by this. It's by his power, by his authority, by his rule, his reign, and demonstrated by his power through his miracles. That this is a kingdom that is already, but not yet. How many believe that this morning? We have a taste of what is to come. A taste of what is to come. But how many know a taste is not a full meal deal? Come on. We've got a down payment. We've got an earnest payment on what is to come. He sent the Holy Spirit and we a taste of the heavenly. We're tasting of the heavenly this morning. We're tasting of the age to come this morning. Whoo. And so when you're in a present evil age, as, as Paul describes in the book of Galatians, He says, we've been rescued from this present evil age, but there is an age to come. And this word is aeon, which is a period of time. It's an age. And we're in an age now, but there will be a consummation of the age when Jesus will come at his coming, at his parousia. He'll split the sky. Come on, somebody. His power and his glory will be evident to all. And he will come and he will toss Satan into the abyss. That's something to get excited about. The game is fixed. He's already a loser. He's in the pit. And then he'll establish his kingdom for a thousand years. He'll be loosed again. And then he'll be put into the lake of fire forever. I'm thankful for that. 
And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he will present the kingdom to his father and his, his kingdom shall reign on this earth. You see, we need, a, we, need a, we need that in our front window. We need that right in front of us. We need to not forget that there is a heavenly calling and that we're just simply tasting of what is to come. But thank God he gives us a taste here and now. It's an already, but it's a not yet kingdom. And he demonstrated his kingdom. He says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why? Because Satan is a defeated foe already. Because of the cross. He says he rendered, in in Hebrews chapter 2, he rendered him powerless who had the power of death. So that those who are no longer in that slave would no longer fear death. Come on. Oh, that makes me excited. And that he made a public display, humiliation of the principalities and powers. They're already defeated. As we were praying before the service this morning, I felt that so strong to just remind you, encourage you, that you, he's a defeated foe. He may, he may go around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but you have the power of the lion of Judah in you. Come on. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. All right, that wasn't my message, but we're going. Seeking his kingdom. Seeking his kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But see, I, under, I, I know this. If I were to ask this morning, how would you describe the kingdom of God? We'd get a variety of answers. Because it's a mystery. He describes it as a mystery. That is only revealed by God-given divine revelation from heaven. And so this morning, I hope you get a download from heaven. Amen? That he speaks to your heart. And then Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you should strive that you may enter the narrow gate. Strive. And that word is almost like an endeavoring, a strenuous endeavor to make it the thing that we, the the most important thing in our life. It speaks of like the, the struggle in an athletic competition. Strive, agonize to enter that narrow gate. So it must be important. Then he says this, if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, says this about Jesus after his resurrection. He says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. You see that for 40 days. It's not even written. He spoke of the kingdom of God for those last days, meaning the last words before he would ascend, these are the most important words. And I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God is what he did. And so if it's important to him, amen, it needs to be important to us to understand. His teaching was about the kingdom. His parables were about the kingdom. The purpose of his miracles to demonstrate his power was to prove the kingdom of God was at hand. Not only that Jesus chose to spend those 40 days after speaking 
things concerning the kingdom of God. And he wants to speak to us now concerning the kingdom of God. And then as you turn, turn to look at Acts 19, verse 8. And it says this, and he, and speaking of Paul, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months. Three months. We're only going an hour this morning, so don't get on me. I mean, Paul put somebody to sleep who fell out and died. I mean, of the window and died. So we'll, we'll try to keep your attention. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. See in the theme? Three months, he discussed, and it's really to say he discussed, he conversed about, argued about the things of God, but he was there to persuade them, to prevail upon them, to win them over concerning the kingdom of God and concerning Jesus, the Messiah. But it goes on to say that they hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And he said, all right, I'm going out to the Gentiles. And so there, there we see Paul's emphasis on the kingdom of God. We see Jesus' emphasis on the kingdom of God and the importance for us to understand it. And here's the thing. When he spoke to his disciples, he said, or he was speaking to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17, something I also shared last time was this. He said, the kingdom of God is not to be observed don't look here, here, here or there, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. What? In the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. That's the taste we're experiencing now where his rule and reign is in the realm of our life. We experience the peace, the righteousness, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. I hope you have that this morning. And so... We enter into the blessings. We enter into the blessings. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, He has blessed us with every, somebody say every, every, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Turn to somebody and tell them you're blessed this morning. Hallelujah. But you see, the Jews had wanted a Davidic kingdom. They had wanted a, a, a deliverance from Roman power. And so they rejected this message of the kingdom, this, this hidden kingdom, this kingdom of Jesus, who was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They rejected it because they're saying, how could this weak and meek carpenter of Nazareth be the coming Messiah? How could God reveal himself this way? And so they reject it. And here's the reality for us. If we're not careful, we can miss the revelation of the kingdom of God that God wants to bring in our life. If we're not looking, he'll show you. He'll speak to us about that. So I really want to talk to this morning, and it's really about a culture, the culture of the kingdom of God, which is really a reflection of the king himself in our lives. And you see, when you get hold of this, this is why it's significant. When you get a hold of your place in the kingdom of God and understanding who you are in it, it will transform how you go to work every day. 
You see, we make the mistake of assuming that somebody up here who's preaching or somebody up here who's leading music or somebody up here who's, who's evangelizing and going to the nations or have a, have a more spiritual calling. That's a lie. Every one of you have a spiritual calling. Come on. Every one of you have an influence, a sphere of influence that God's called you into. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. God has called you to influence and to cause a change in the earth. For the kingdom of God to be manifested through your life. His power manifested through your life. His glory, His reign, His rule manifested. They go, why are you different? Why do you do your work the way you do it? Because I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the kingdom of God. I'm here to represent the king. And so we look at, look at, look at, actually go to Matthew chapter 11. And you see, we can misunderstand his kingdom. We can misunderstand what God's trying to show us. And there can be moments, and if we're honest this morning, every one of us have had moments of questions. Questions are okay. God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your questions. But here we find John the Baptist in prison. And he had some questions. How many think that you probably would have some questions too? He was called to be the forerunner. His life calling was to declare, to be a voice in the wilderness, to prepare the way of the Lord. And he says, I must decrease so that he may increase. He pointed to Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him. But here he is in prison. His voice muted, if you will, from the prison. And so he sends, and he's questioning. He's beginning to think, is this really the Messiah? Is this really the expected one? And so he sends his people, and they come to Jesus, and they're like, are you, he wants to know, are you the expected one, or should we look for another? Now imagine this. That is his life calling to declare the expected one. And yet, John had questions. Are you the one? Why did John have questions? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, he speaks of, hey, he's going to come with his chaff and his winnowing for it, and he's going to separate the wicked, and there'll be an unquenchable fire, and then the righteous will be set aside. So he starts to declare those things of the coming of the Lord. And he's like, wait, that's not happening, so are you really him? I don't see the Holy Spirit in fire yet. And, and Jesus is like, well, wait for it. Wait for it, John. You got it right. You got it right. And his answer to him, if you look at Matthew chapter 11, he says this. Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him, them. These are the marks of the kingdom of God. This is that, John. You got it right. Don't worry. You got the right one. You've had some moments. Any of us have had moments this morning. You said, is this really what you're doing, God? Am I missing you? I, my expectations were different. And Jesus comes and knows, no, this is my kingdom. 
You didn't miss it. I'm working in your life. See what I see. Hear. Tell them, tell them what you hear and see. What you hear and see. So when these miracles are taking place, we got to go declare them. Come on. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The marks of the kingdom of God are the what he is doing in the here and the now. He's touching lives. He's opening blind eyes. He's healing. Come on. He's demonstrating his power of the age to come now. He said, yes. And then he says this in verse 6. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. I want to say that to you this morning. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why did they get offended? Because he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And it would have been, you know what? We can understand why they would have been confused. They looked at the Old Testament scriptures of a coming kingdom and this kingdom that would crush all other kingdoms. And yet they don't see it with their natural eyes. They see a baby in a manger? Really? Is this that? See, this is the mystery of the kingdom that it can't be seen unless you have eyes of the heart to perceive it. You can't see it with these natural eyes. It won't make sense to you. It goes against everything that natural logic tells you about a kingdom. Everything you've learned about. This is a different kind of kingdom. In fact, we can't use the descriptions of the kingdoms of this world to define his because it's altogether different. He had to tell John, he had to tell Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It's otherworldly. It doesn't look like your kingdoms. I'm not here to dominate and, and to bring tyranny. It's a kingdom that comes with an invitation of the king. Don't be offended, he says. Blessed are those who, do not, who are not offended. And I just want to take this moment. You know, one time I was, I was just studying and I was meditating on this issue of offense. And you ever have words just do funny things? And I saw, instead of offended, I saw off-ended. Off-ended. What does that mean? My destination, my purpose, the direction I'm going in has just changed. Offense will take you off the course and the purpose and the destiny of God. It will change your end point. It will change your destination because you begin to get resistant and bitter and there's resentment that comes. And you see, we can get offended because God didn't move the way we thought he was going to move. We can get offended because his kingdom and the way it's being revealed isn't what we thought it would be. We thought, we were, we thought when we prayed this and that was going to happen, but it happened differently. We can get offended. We can get offended because someone representing his kingdom did something they shouldn't have, and they should have known better than Christians. Come on, somebody. And we get offended. Our course, our destiny has changed. And until there's forgiveness, until there's healing, until we come and we repent, and we go, God, I'm sorry I took offense at you. You were working in that situation. You were working through that, that 
thing that I didn't see you in because it's the hidden kingdom. Are you still with me this morning? All right. I hope I didn't offend you. All right. All right. Well, if I did, if the shoe fits, all right. So I want to talk this morning about uh, cultivating a kingdom lifestyle. So here we see, we see John's confusion. We see Jesus's response. And then Jesus begins to reveal through parables the nature of this kingdom. So turn with me to Matthew 13, 3. And as I go into this, I want to say, I did, this was written before any of those words came this morning. So the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Someone, who was it? Pastor Sam gave the word on, on a hardened heart. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then someone else gave another word, which I, it'll come back to me. But um, I'm going to just read it here. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Because that's what sowers do. And as he sowed, some seeds fell besides the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth. Somebody say depth. Depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. You see, he spoke in parables. He related the mysteries of the kingdom of God using earthly stories to reveal heavenly realities. He starts with something the hearers understand, then he moves to something they don't. He starts with the natural, then he moves to the supernatural, the spiritual. He starts with something they can see and takes them to something they can't see. That's how he, how he shared these things. And this was an agricultural, agrarian culture. It's possible that as he was teaching, because he was in the boat off the, off the shore, all around the Sea of Galilee, there were farmlands. It's possible. This is just hypothetical. It's not there. But I just imagine that he's teaching, and there's a farmer over on the side here just sowing. And he goes, hey, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. There's a picture right there. Let me tell you how this works. There's a picture of a farmer there. And so he, he brings the earthly picture to a, and, and shows us a heavenly reality. But I would ask, I, you know, I grew up in suburbia. Anyone else here in suburbia? So a lot of these farming things, whew. But when you've lived, you have grown up in farms, you relate to this. But I, I, I often wonder, what parables would you say to a Seattleite Linwood person today? He might say, you got too many tabs on your browser open. You got too many apps going on. Come on. You're shopping for the wrong things. <laughs> what parables would he speak to us in this culture we're in today? 
But even that, I don't believe we have to try to find a way to make it relevant to our culture. I believe we need to make our culture relevant to his kingdom. Did you you get that? We become relevant to his kingdom. That's what I want. There's the sower, there's the seed, there's the soil, and the variable here is the, is the soil. You know, my, my son had a science experiment recently for his school, and he was making elephant toothpaste. Have you ever seen this stuff? I hadn't either. And his job was to show what happens when you have a variable and you change it and to have, you know, give your hypothesis on what would happen. And so, you know, he, he was doing this on the deck, and it was creating this, what is it, a blue goo stuff. Yeah, I don't know why they call it elephant toothpaste either. But as he increased one particular ingredient, it caused the elephant toothpaste to flow out at much higher speed. And he goes, see, Dad, my hypothesis came true. Well, there's, see, there's a variable here, and it's the soil. It's the condition of the soil where the seed is being sown that changes the outcome on what's produced. The condition of the soil, and he's showing us something. You may have read this a thousand times. I had a season where I had put my Bible audio on this, Mark 4 and Luke 8, which is where all these parables are, on repeat over and over, over and over again. And still yet, every time I read this, I get something new. Something new about the kingdom of God. And here's what it is. He says it's as a seed. Now, see, look, if you're looking for a powerful kingdom to come and be established and put away every other kingdom, how weird is it when he says it's like a seed, sower, sowing seed? You see, it's not coming with irresistible force. It's coming with influence, but it has to be received. It's coming with influence, and it has to be received. And it depends on the soil in which it lands. See, there's nothing wrong with the sower. And there's certainly nothing wrong with the seed. The Bible says it is the incorruptible seed, the Word of God. The seed itself does not return void, but it has to find soil to get into and germinate and produce life and, and roots, if you will. But see, the sower would walk along the path, and he was very methodical. He had his little bag of seed. And see, today in our modern world, I've got the little automatic seed spreader in the yard so I can get it right. But even with that, it goes on the sidewalk. It goes into my, it goes into my bark areas. Come on. <laughs> and I come back two weeks later, and there's grass there, and it's still bare here on my yard. Something's wrong with the soil. But even with that, they would go along spreading very methodically. Spreading. And yet, it had four different areas it could land. And there were those furrows. Back and forth, they would go treading up and down the furrows to sow the soil, sow the seed. But he describes four types of soil. All right. Try to keep, keep you from, you're going to have lunch today, hopefully at some point. All right. 
hard beaten down ground, he describes it. You see paths around the field where the farmers were to walk on. This was uncultivated and unwatered ground. The seed that fell here was either crushed or taken up by the birds. Then there was two, the stony soil. And you see, sometimes we want to think about that as just soil with a bunch of rocks in it. But understand, they, they plowed it. And sometimes there was actually a bedrock of limestone in pal- areas of Palestine that was deeper than even the blade of the plow. And so on the surface, it looked good. But beneath was a shallow depth of soil. That was the stony soil. And you see, the seed would go into the ground and would decompose and it would be then attempt to send its roots down to get nutrients and water. And yet it would hit that rock and it would cause a force upwards and it would spring up quickly. And so if you were not an informed farmer, probably like me, and you saw that thing spring up, you're going, hey, this is awesome. This is going to be a good year. But then it says the sun would come up and wither it because it had no depth. That was the stony ground. Looked the same on the surface, but had a different outcome. Are you still with me? The third is the seed among the weeds or the thorns. And this soil may have also looked good on the surface, but beneath there was underlying roots of weeds ready to spring up to life again. And so they would grow fast. How many know you, you always grow weeds? You don't always grow the plants. Especially around here, they never fail. I've never had a crop failure of weeds. <laughs> Serious. We have that ancient weed I've talked about before. What is it called? Horsetail. Oof. Yeah. No good. Those always come. But they suck all the moisture and nourishment from the soil around the seed so that the seed gets choked and eventually dies. And then there's the seed on the good soil. Now understand this. In Palestine, if you got a crop that was tenfold, that was incredible. That was incredible. That was something to shout about. And then he says, no, in the good soil, there'd be crops a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And he's trying to show us something about the kingdom of God. That it's hidden. But it produces a massive crop when it finds the right landing place. And it keeps on producing. You see, there is so much more going on underneath the surface than what you see. See, if you're judging by the outward, this is one of the things we need to understand about kingdom culture. We can't judge by the outward. God sees it different. God sees beneath the surface in the spiritual realm what's happening in the hearts of men. What's happening is not what's happening. What we think is happening. Seed fell on good soil, good crop, good return. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And all the parents said, yes. In other words, are you hearing what I'm saying? Will you demonstrate that you hear what I'm saying? God has things he desires to show us about his kingdom, but we need to be listening hard to hear it. And then he goes on in verse 11. He says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but that to them it has not been granted. Do you see you've got special access? You've got special 
privileges as a child of God, as a disciple of the kingdom. And he says, it's been granted to you to know the mysteries. I don't know about you, but I like secrets. I want to know God's secrets. He says in Psalm 25, he reveals his secrets to those who fear him. He reveals his secrets to those who fear him. And the question is, will we, will we jump into the mystery of what God wants to show us? Will it be received with soft and open hearts that are submissive to his will? And then he describes this. He says, the seed, get this, is the word of the kingdom. You know, when Jesus, when it describes Jesus in Matthew 4, it says he went about proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom. That's of his reign. And it was demonstrated with the power. So he says, this is the word of the kingdom. And how we respond to the true message of eternal life through believing in and trusting in Jesus. A life we can experience here and now. This is eternal life. That we may know God the Father and his son, Jesus, whom he sent. I thought you'd get excited about that. We might know him. That's eternal life that I experience now. We can experience it now. But see, the degree to which we understand the kingdom has to do with the condition of our heart. The degree to which we understand this, the revelation comes as a result of the condition of our heart. And so he speaks of those with hardened hearts. And he says this, Jesus says, they are the hearers who didn't understand it. They hear, but don't understand They see but don't perceive. The person whose life has been like trampled, uncultivated ground, hardened by sin, resentment, offense, filled with unbelief and resistant to the message of the kingdom. We've either been this person or we've encountered somebody. Come on. And I don't want to limit this because this description can also talk about areas in our life. Areas in our life. You see, we might have one area that's soft and open to the Lord, but the kingdom of God touches every part of our life. The message of the kingdom affects every part of our life. It affects how I work. It affects my stewardship. It affects my finances. It affects how I am as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a son. It affects every part and dimension of my life, but there may be areas that are hard to what God wants to do. Resistant to what he wants to do. Where there's not the rule and reign and the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit that he intends for us because we have not opened that area to him. Are you with me? Got quiet in this church. All right. This gospel, which has so transformed our lives, you know you've had this moment where you, you, you've shared this transformation and you get somebody looking at you like deer in the headlights they've been hardened their life's been run over by sin by bitterness by resentment and the enemy comes and he snatches that seed away from their heart secondly is the shallow heart the seed that fell on stony ground jesus explains these are those who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy yet having no firm root in themselves I want to say that again. Having no firm root in themselves. 
but they are only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, they immediately fall away. And this is in uh, verses uh, 20 and 21. And we've, we've seen and we've encountered these people. And it says, it goes on to say that when they encounter affliction or persecution, they fall away. And see, this is, this is an important thing because we're going to be tested. Are you with me? We're going to be tested. The Bible says of Joseph that the word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested him. I can tell you when I'm starting to believe something, when I'm starting to reach for something in, in the word of God, that I'll get tested in it. You start reaching for healing and the enemy tries to bring sickness on you. Come on. You start reaching for this or that and he comes again. You start believing for financial breakthrough and you get a bill you didn't expect. Are you with me? We get tested. Will you hold on to the word of the Lord even though the circumstances are dark? Will you endure through the trial of your faith? That's why James could say, consider it all joy when we encounter Consider it all joy. Because it's God's opportunity to prove himself and it's our opportunity to prove him. His word is true. And when we come out on the other side, there's a testimony, there's endurance that's built in our lives, right? There's going to be a testing and an affliction when affliction and persecution come, and I tell you, church, the Bible says in, in Timothy, Paul said to this, this to Timothy, Timothy, everyone who desires to be godly will suffer persecution. So if we're pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we'll suffer persecution, and yet we'll be tested in these things. Then there is the preoccupied. Well, before I get to that, let me describe this. The temporary. So I've seen Christians who have been they get in trouble or people who get in trouble and they get into a situation and then the gospel comes with this promise of help and hope and they grab hold of it and then when their situation changes they go back when it's describing somebody who's temporary they grab hold of it for a moment for a season because they're they need help but they don't commit to the king there's no depth there in their life. There are those who will be flighting and fleeing at the moment they're tested. But I believe God has something better for us. Amen? I believe better things concerning you, like Paul said. <laughs> I believe better things concerning you. Then he says, the, he talks about the one, the seed that fell amongst the thorns and the weeds, and he says this is the this is the preoccupied heart. The preoccupied heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, the worries of this world. And when, the, when it says this world, it goes back to that word before aeon, which is this present age. This present evil age. The worries of this age start to choke the word. The deceitfulness of riches. Paul instructed Timothy, says, tell those who are rich to not put their trust in riches. Tell those who are rich to not put their trust in riches because they're deceitful. They come and go. 
I had a friend, he's like, hey, you need to invest in this, uh, this, this fund with your 401k. I'm like, great, sounds good. And he told me all the good reasons. And he's a good friend, I trust him, and it's all good. But I put my money in there, and eventually, and immediately the thing dive-bombed. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to store up treasures in heaven. <laughs> I got a good re return on investment there, that's guaranteed. This 401k may just go go to zero, but you know what? I've got treasures in heaven that I've stored up. And there's no moth, there's no rust that will destroy those. Now that fund recovered, but it'll probably go down again. It's like my gardening. Similar results. But the deceitfulness of wealth in a market adds the desire for other things. Ooh, I've seen Christians like that. They're like set, going for the things of God. And then just something comes up. That's why Proverbs, he says, don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your gaze fixed on the purpose and the destiny of God. Don't get derailed. The, the desire for other things that will quench and choke that word. It, it sucks up the nutrients of the soil and the, and the moisture. And there's nothing left for that roots to go down. And it says the result is unfruitfulness. Inability to bring fruit to maturity. You see... God always ties, and look at this one, in the last one he says, a, a cultivated and prepared heart. This is where we're getting to. Jesus explains this is the person who hears the word and understands it and produces fruit of the kingdom. Produces fruit of the kingdom. And then he says the 160, 30 fold. You see, understanding, listen to me closely, understanding is always tied to fruitfulness. Understanding is always tied to fruitfulness. That's why in all you're getting, get understanding. Dig in this word. Don't just read the word. But God, reveal this to me. Give me understanding. Paul prays in Saul, for, for the Colossians. In, in Colossians 1 verse 9, he says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of him in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of him to please him in all respects. What? Bearing fruit. So as the spiritual understanding comes in your life, there's fruit that comes with it. Amen. Revelation. The power of revelation in our lives brings fruit. All right, I'm going to close with this. Four keys to cultivating a kingdom lifestyle. Four keys that I really want to leave you with this morning. And I, look, I take it from Hosea 10, verse 12. It says this, Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to what? Seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. I'm telling you, Sunday night prayer, we probably pray this verse every week. Because it's a good prayer, verse to pray. 
Break up the, sow to righteousness. Break up that fallow ground. So number one is breaking up the fallow ground. You see, there's parts of our life, I said it before, see, you might be open and soft here, and you might have some thorns and weeds over here, but you might have some hardness here. That's ground that has not been productive. It's ground that's uncultivated, and it needs to be broken up. He can't do it for you. It's your willingness to say, God, come and soften this hard heart. There was a prophecy this morning concerning hard hearts. You felt hardened because of what you've experienced. But if you'll say, God, I want a soft heart. I want a heart of flesh. He will come. Break up that fallow ground. He desires to pour out the rain of his Holy Spirit, of his righteousness on your life. Number two, dig up the rocks. You know, this is this is talking about that shallow Christianity where we've just been stuck. You see, the word of God comes and it springs up quickly, but then it gets scorched by the sun, by circumstance. Affliction and persecution comes and we're tested and we draw back because, hey, I believe that, but it didn't happen. Are you with me? And sometimes the issue is deep beneath the surface, there's these huge rocks that come from hurt and pain and experience and whatever you've been through that maybe you aren't even aware of and how it's affected your life. But see, God's interested in deep discipleship. God's interested in getting down beneath the surface to those places and bringing healing, and yet it might take some help. You might have to get a brother or sister. You might have to get some counseling. You might have to get some deep discipleship to get down and dig up that seemingly immovable rock from your life. But by doing so, then the Word of God can come in and produce and go downward, deep into those places. That's why we believe in healing, but not just physical healing, the healing of the heart, the places that nobody sees. God goes in and he takes those rocks. He makes some good soil there. Amen. Third, live carefree. Here's what it was. It was Mark. Mark came up, gives the word. First Peter five, six and seven. You see how the Holy Spirit does that. Therefore, humble yourselves under the Mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. Who care because he cares for you. Do you believe that there's a place of carefree living? Oh, you there's two people. All right. Do you believe it? Because he says it. He says, do not worry. All right, if Jesus says do not worry, then don't worry. I know that's, that's deep. That's deep, all right? Yeah, so I'm going there. So Steve Sampson, Steve Sampson came over for dinner. He goes, I don't know if you noticed the resemblance between him and a certain actor. What's his name? I'm now in space. Huh? Bob Newhart. He's the, he's the redeemed anointed Bob Newhart. So he said, hey, go look up this video of Bob Newhart. And he's in an office with this lady meeting for a counseling appointment. And he's like, so what's going on in your life? And she starts telling him, I believe I'm going to die in a box underground, buried alive. I'm going to be buried alive. I keep having this thought of being buried alive in a box underground. Anyone struggle with that? Because we can pray for you. But that, um, 
I've just had struggles with this. And he's like, okay, well, I have two words for you. And um, you can write them down. But you may not need to. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. So when it comes to worry, stop it. And then she was mad and she goes, and he ends it up and he says, well, I have 10 words for you now. He says, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box underground. <laughs> oh, so great. But that's how we have to deal with worry, the cares of this world. Just stop. Trust him. Trust in the Lord. You can live carefree. It's part of kingdom culture. We don't have to worry. We're in the provision and the covering and the protection and the supply of the kingdom of God. I can live carefree. I can trust him. Man, if he can supply his, his kingdom that he chose to reveal himself through in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel, he could supply them in the desert. Their shoes didn't even wear out for 40 years. Come on. How did that happen? I've always wondered. They had food from heaven. They were not lacking anything. He says, Psalmist says this, I've, I've been young, I've been old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Thank God for that. Amen? Cast his, your cares on him. And here's how this transaction takes place. It's not really a transaction. It's relational. But you know it's taken place because you're not thinking about it anymore. You're not experiencing the anxiety anymore. You have peace in your heart. Peace that passes understanding. That guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You're not worried. You're not losing sleep anymore because you've truly handed over that weight, that anxiety to him. It's his now. It's not mine because I cast it on him because he cares for me. And he says, and even, even in Hebrews, it says, lay aside the weight that so easily besets you. There are weights that don't belong in our lives. That's what Mark was sharing. Oh, I love how the Lord does that. Come on. Fourth, sow some seed. Turn to somebody and say, sow some seed. Allow the incorruptible seed of God's word to find a place in your life. Let it be sown in your heart. There's a harvest of righteousness that comes with this. Sowing and reaping. You have to be patient in this process. Sowing and reaping. Because what you sow in one season, you reap in the next. Did you see that? You start sowing righteousness like, Pastor, I'm not seeing the results. Wait. I know. Lonnie Riley said, that's the, that's the Christian cuss word. Wait. Just wait for it. Understand, you may not see the results until the next season. And then this, I'm going to leave, and this was the theme of the service. I love the Holy Spirit. Come on, he's calling out evangelists. Are you for real? He knows what he's doing. You know, I, 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 I'm preparing these messages. I'm like... I hope I got this. I hope I got it. And then the Holy Spirit does that stuff. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And he says, sow the seed. Just sow it. You don't have to worry about the ground it goes on. You just sow. Let the seed do the work. Let 
The Holy Spirit do the work. But you share what God has done in your life. You share the wonders of the gospel of the kingdom with those in your workplace. You share it with your family. You share with your neighbors. Sow the seed. Share it. It wasn't meant for you to keep. That seed has to go so you can't eat seed. It's gross. you got to share it. All right. Let's have the worship team come. We're going to close this somehow. Thank you for staying. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It's living, it's active. It's as a two-edged sword. It divides asunder the soul and the spirit. It reveals the thoughts and intentions of our heart, Lord. You know this morning where we're at. You see beneath the surface. Father, we desire to be a kingdom people who reflect your kingdom in all we do. We desire to know into the mysteries of your kingdom. Would you open the eyes of our hearts this morning and reveal to us, Holy Spirit, what you want to show us. Help us to perceive the realities of your kingdom at work here and now. To not see with our natural eyes that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Understanding faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Father, we understand this morning that you said without faith it is impossible to please you. For in coming to you, we must believe that you are and that you are a rewarder. You're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Father, we thank you so much. Help us to be a diligent people who will seek you and seek your kingdom and seek your righteousness. First and foremost priority in our life. Thank you this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I've never, ever truly made Jesus Lord of my life. Or maybe... Maybe you heard that sharing this morning of the prodigal. You could open the curtains and behind here is a glass picture of the prodigal returning home. If you're a prodigal this morning and God's calling you back to the Father's house, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. See, it's kingdom about God is about how we respond to him, how we respond to his calling. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, made him truly Lord of your life, you say, or maybe you'd say this morning, Pastor, I've got areas of my life I really haven't surrendered. I want to give you that opportunity. Come to this altar. We're going to pray with you. Why? You say, why do you come to the altar? Why? What is that? Because it's a public confession of faith. He said, if you're ashamed of me here, 
If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me here, then I'll be ashamed of you in front of him. So there's a standing up and being bold and saying this morning, I need to respond and enter into the kingdom of God to receive the kingdom of God in my life like a child. If that's you and the Holy Spirit is tugging your life, don't wait. Come now to this altar. There's an area, if the Holy Spirit's been working on you, speaking to your heart about some areas that need work, and maybe you just say, I need to respond to that. Come now. We want to pray with you. If there's any, anything you need prayer for, this altar's open, and we're just going to worship and believe God for His Spirit to move in your life. Amen.